0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Neighbors Church Podcast and this little mini series that we're doing on the wonderful topic of shame. My wife and I in our last conversation introduced what we're doing where we're wanting to explore the stories of the people that we're in relationship with for the sake of creating, a, I don't know, creating a sense of empathy And we have been praying for you, our listener, not that this would be three steps to shame being healed, not that this would be um, five steps to your most successful life, although it will help. Um, Really, what we're praying for is a sense of ease and a sense of connection. As my wife and I said in the last conversation, shame is the most prevalent human emotion There's really not a human on this planet that does not experience shame in some degree. In fact, I would even argue every human experiences shame in different degrees. It's just a matter of our conscious awareness and our coping mechanisms that we use to overcome shame. And so we're having friends that we just love and cherish come and share their stories from their own individual perspectives, from their own individual lives. And today in our conversation, we have somebody who's become one of my dearest friends, uh, one of the most treasured humans in my life. Uh, I don't even remember how we met, Joel, How did we meet?,
1: um, I was roommates with Jared Carroll.
0: Oh my gosh, that's right. That's right. Actually, I remember the very first Sunday night that you you came mm-hmm. out to uh, we were at Christ United or yes. wherever out in yes. college area. And yeah. Joel was telling me, or Jared was telling me, Oh, I can't wait for you to meet my roommate. He's gonna love you guys. And you guys showed up. That was the night that my wife was making announcements and actually referred to mail to the yeah. male <laughs> to the mail parts.
1: In- yes, I remember that. I remember
0: that. Well, we're already off track, but it was it was That's a right. hilarious introduction. It made me feel comfortable. So everybody introducing you to uh Joel Briggs. And this man, um, I know I've told you this before, but I want I want our listeners to know who you are and how I think about you. Joel legitimately is one of the most um and more courageous Christians that I've mm-hmm. met. You know, whenever I think of categories of Christians, I think of I think of the women in Iran who are mm-hmm. going out in full face covering today mm-hmm. uh to 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 live a life for Jesus at risk to their life. That's courageous Christianity. I think of, you know, the great uh risk taking bold initiatives uh, that Christians produce in the world. Mm -hmm. And I would put Joel in that same category, but for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Joel's um, commitment to Jesus has required of him such radical sacrifice, and it has produced such a depth of thought and such a depth of soul. And so I'm very excited for you guys to listen to his insight. There's been multiple conversations over the years with Joel now where I've been like, dang, dang, I wish I would have had that recorded. His stuff makes it into the, my sermons constantly. And so I'm really excited. Joel Briggs, my dear friend, why don't we start here? Um, why don't you tell your story a little bit, who you yeah. are, where you came from, your background, and, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of why I think your perspective on shame is maybe one of the most important and maybe mm-hmm. one of the most helpful perspectives
1: mm-hmm. for the church today yeah um wow thank you for that dan um my name is joel briggs um i'm a painter Mm. as well as in hairstyle school i moved out to san diego um a year and a half ago um maybe more and I moved here from the Midwest area. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of from all over and lived all over, but I grew up mostly in the South and the Midwest. Mm. And- Like deep church culture. Like deep church, yes. And everything that goes along with that. And all the expected things. Yes. Got it. Um, Actually, I would say more so because I I grew up in, Fund like fundamentalist conservatism. hmm mm-hmm. I, I don't, there's not really a term in particular for it, but mm. Bill Gothard. um yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in that. Got it. Um, so intense homeschool, conservative homeschool evangelicalism, mm. um, during the nineties, the purity culture, um, and I'm a celibate gay Christian. Yeah. Yeah. That,
0: th- that right there, you know, just knowing you mm-hmm. and even hearing the brief introduction to your story, fundamentalist Christianity, 90s purity culture, mm-hmm. Southern-ish culture. And I am a celibate gay Christian. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I love you. (laughs) I I hope that if you're a listener right now, you can see why I would say um, Joel is one of those. He sits in that category of courageous Christian because this man has, yeah, you've endured this journey of, of self-awareness and coming through and uh, awakening and acceptance in some ways uh, while also following Jesus so resolutely that it is, um, Well, it upsets a lot of Christians, and it upsets a lot of non-Christians. It's very (laughs) Jesus-y. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, where do we want to start with this? Maybe broadly, Joel, Mm -hmm. what would you say, or how, what was the shame experience for you as you were discerning? What is... What is this? What is happening? What is there? What is going mm. on with me? And what do I do
1: about this? Yeah. Um. I th- I think the shame experience for me has been intrinsically tied with fear. Mm. Mm. Um. I, I mean, I, having grown up in a, in intensely, um, intensely, like fundamentalist conservative home Um, and the fear of anything outside Mm -hmm. the fear of the world outside the fear of music with drums in it the fear of Mm. movies that were made after 1945 um
0: just Dude, I'm, not, the, I'm
1: smiling right now. I'm not <laughs> laughing at you. You're, you're you know fine.
0: Stuff, I don't have a category for this kind of. This thing. is
1: this was normal for me. <laughs> um, fear was was the water we grew up in. Interesting Just anxiety and anxiety being kind of repackaged as the as the, like the voice of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to to do anything but internalize that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I learned to just doubt everything mm. and doubt everything within myself, especially my, my ability to know anything. Mm. Um. And, and the shame piece is huge within that because underneath the surface of that is this, um, maybe narrative of like, if, if I stray at all too far from, you know, to use a a Bill Gothardism, um, the umbrella of authority, Mm of those within this camp checking off on everything that I do. If they don't understand me, I must be somehow uh, deviant beyond all means, And deviant beyond repair? Deviant beyond repair. um...
0: The only reason I ask it that way is because we're framing this shame narrative and the the theological construct of shame, at least Mm -hmm. that I'm landing on at this point, is it is an acute awareness of not being accepted or acceptable Mm. a sense of wrongness in one's being that's um, yeah, that, that leaves you separated. Yeah. And so you're in this, you're in this context where you're afraid to listen to music with drums and then you're dealing with this, this culture that actually uses shame as a means of authority and a yeah. and a means of control yeah how, how did you handle that what did you what was that even like
1: well i i it's hard to like talk about it in like a analysis sort of way right because i, I can i can describe so it felt sort of like i was the kid from the omen uh-huh like the antichrist as a child were you treated that way Um, well, and I'm, and I'm now like through therapy beginning to understand better my parents and the, the trauma that they carry. Um, but seeing, you know, I, I, I felt the anxiety in my, my mom's eyes. I felt the, Mm. the unprocessed trauma in my parents, Mm. but I didn't as a child know what to do with that. Right. Right. And so you see that fear, you encounter that fear, and you think there must be something bad about me. I must be the child from the omen. Wow. Um, and so you know when when I'm constantly trying to avoid whatever these these things are that will make me so repulsive to Jesus and to and repulsive to the community this, this Christian community, um, you, you, there's just such a plethora of things that are so deviant outside of your safe little bubble that anything could be, could be evil. And so you don't know, you can't trust anything. And so you're constantly afraid. Like I, I just, I remember constantly looking up at, at my mom and thinking like, is this okay? What about this? Is this okay? Yeah um all while this this stirring reality within me of knowing that i'm not i'm not like everybody else because and you i'm knew not
0: from almost all my gay friends would say from the I knew time i was from the a very kid,
1: it was i don't remember the realization because it was so so early it was so early yeah but i think it was very hard because in the, in that like 90s um, purity culture fervor, they would say things like, you know, you're going to begin to feel things for the opposite sex. And you just have to, you know, sex is the worst thing ever until you get married. And then it's just mind blowing. It will right. just, you will <laughs> transcend to the astral plane um, through, through sex. And then realizing like, I, I don't, maybe something's really wrong with me because I don't understand it. Those feelings have not clicked yet for me. Like wow. I'm not feeling those things for women. Wow. In fact, I'm feeling things for men that nobody's talking about. Mm. And then you, you put that overlay that onto that narrative of like feeling like I'm a kid from the omen and feeling like I need to put my security and safety in this bubble that we're living in the umbrella, the quote unquote umbrella of authority. Um, it, it felt insanity inducing.
0: Yeah. How did you survive? I'm talking. So junior high, high school, how did you survive those years? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, did you come out in high school or um, later in life? it's hard to say that to be honest, there's no clear cut point at which people come out or not. It's uh, sort of, it's a gradient of how much you are choosing to be open. Got it. Um, I wasn't choosing to be open at that time. So got it. I guess that's the answer for it. Um, and was that a survival mechanism for you? Of course it was. Yeah. 100%. Of course it was. Um, I, there was so much trust in the st- there was so much trust in the system that I was in. Hmm. And yet the system that I was in, I w- there was a dawning reality that the system that I was in didn't have space for me. And so it was a, it was a very complicated relationship with the system because I didn't, I was realizing I, there was no, there wasn't space for me, um, but I was still trying to, I, I felt so unsafe without the, stri- the structure mm. of evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was nobody that looked like, there was nobody that looked like me, that, that was like me within, within, within our world. And see, to me, the, the tragedy of that is that is,
0: Joel, that is like a case study on such an acute, extreme sense of shame. Yeah. Nobody like me. I'm the kid from the omen. I'm, yeah. in, a, I'm in a system. That yeah. literally says you are separated. Yeah. And yet the miracle that you are is you're sitting here on this couch mm. with a conservative white homosexual or heterosexual mm. pastor. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And
0: and you're walking with Jesus mm. and you and I are friends. Yeah. And and you have made this journey and you and I talk a lot. You're mm-hmm. still, I mean, both of us, we're both. The shame journey is like, yeah, <laughs> it's like... Onion layer after onion layer yeah. after onion layer.
1: Yeah.
0: How or what where where Joel in your life did you start to find? And by the way, at any point, if you're like, mm. hey, I, I wanna go this direction, this conversation, mm. please feel free. You know me. I'm gonna yeah. just yeah, I'm questions. <laughs> where did you come to Jesus? Yeah. Instead of the system? How did that happen?
1: Yeah. Well, it it it's taken a long time. Um, it's taken a long time, and it's been very hard. And and I think I have looked for so many systems that will that will be the perfect system for mm-hmm. me. I I really have tried to. People will tell me all the time. Joel, you're so confident. Mm. You seem to know what you think. You seem to know what you want. Um, but internally, I feel very, very unconfident. And I feel like I'm I, i I'm too dangerous. I'm not safe enough to trust myself. Mm. I'm not safe enough to just say, you know what? I can trust. And this is what we're going to do. I, I doubt everything. Mm. And so it's been very hard for me because I've tried to f- compensate for my My feelings of lack of trust in specific systems, Mm. and so that's a very interesting question because I have gravitated towards so many systems that within evangelicalism that have said, you know, like we will give you all the answers, (laughs) all the (laughs) answers. (laughs) We can explain the Bible explains every single thing, Mm. Um, whether that's creationism or whether that's, um, and, I, and I don't want to smack talk any of those. Right. I, I, I have problems with some of them, but um, with just these, these tribes within, within, these many tribes within evangelicalism, and I bounced around within those trying to say, give me the answers, give me the answers, and there's been a lot of frustration, Dan, because of realizing there, that there aren't perfect concrete answers for me to be able to explain away my, my intense insecurity that mm. and distrust. Yep. And so to bring it back even more personally, I, I was in a, um, I, I'm very intrigued by cults yeah. because <laughs> I think, because I have that propensity to like, tell me what to believe. Tell right. Yep. Um, and I, several years ago i was at a very very low point um back when i was living back east and i found a group of um christians that lived together and it it ended up being a, a cult hmm. um but i was very intrigued by it because i think there's a lot that's that's very beautiful about living together about yeah like, the community aspect there but it was, this, it was this very evangelical mentality of we'll get the answers for everything. Well, one of the things they told me was, you are three or four decisions away tonight from just losing your inheritance, your spiritual inheritance, just right away. And it petrified me because I said, well, tell me, tell me what those three or four things are so that I don't do them. Like I'll d i will will try my hardest to not do those three three or four things. Tell me what they are. Hmm. And they would never they would say, well, it could be anything. It's and I was just thing. like, oh my gosh, I, I need you to no, I I need you to tell me what it is. Um and and I was there, I spent a I spent a bit of time with them. And it ended up getting to the point where I I really had to step back get alone with Jesus and go, okay, if you're good and you're trustworthy, you're going to have to speak on your own. Mm. Because if you're not able to, there's so much noise in my head. There's so much noise from all these different people telling me, this is the answer. This is the answer for this. This is the answer for that. And these people assuming that they have answers for everything. But the more that I Ask scrutinizing questions and bring my doubts to them. turns out they don't believe they don't know what they believe yeah. they just are overly confident and they're half thought through ideas yeah and i'm i maybe it's a gift sometimes I'm a bit of a doubter i I poke holes I, I see the holes in it yeah and so coming to jesus and going i don't I don't know how to believe. I don't know how to have faith. I I none of this makes sense. Mm. So if I'm going to believe, it's going to have to be something you give me. Yeah. And and it's not going to be something that I can if there are three or four things to do then just like at the drop of a hat just lose my inheritance with Jesus and just be like just slip out of his his grasp. Mhm. I probably have already done, I, yeah. I probably have already done those things. I don't know what they are. And so if I can't, if I have to put my trust in my own ability to cognate and, and try to make sense of and avoid whatever actions, I'm not going to do, I, I'm going to fail. Yep. And so what it's come down to is over and over and over coming up, coming back to Jesus' words in John, where he's in the, in the Gospel of John, where he's saying, my sheep will hear my voice. You rest in the mystery. Yes. yes, And I rest in the fact that he is strong enough to, to make his voice heard because if he's not strong enough to make his voice heard, I'm never going to hear. I I'm, I'm never going to be listening hard enough to hear his weak, weak whisper whisper of a voice because he's too hoarse.
0: It's see. And this is why I think that your, your story and who you are to me, this is just me. Uh, you're so important to me because you actually you put words to things that I'm in right now. Mm. So my own journey of theological deconstruction, yeah. deconstructing the system. Oh God, bless the system I came up in. You know, yeah, I was sex, sure. drugs, and rock and roll kid. Sure. No Bible, so I get into a conservative Bible teaching church. Mm. Love it, verse yeah. by verse, chapter by chapter. But I was told every other denomination is wrong, and if yeah. they don't believe in the rapture, they're oh, yeah. heretics, and if they're <laughs> Calvinists, they're heretics. And then I was like reading the Bible. I was like, well, this doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And then that moved me into, I drank the reformed Mm Kool-Aid and deep dove the reform movement. And those guys are some of my best friends in the whole world and I love them. But the system presented answers where after a while I was like, if I run this out all the way to the end, I am serving a puppet master God Mm. and this hurts and I don't like it. Yeah. And now I'm at this stage where so much of my healing is like overcoming the the internal sense of shame that I don't have the answers, yeah, I don't have the answers, yeah, and so I have to, like you were just saying, go to this place where I'm literally like, "Jesus, you are alive." Mm-hmm. You have to speak into the depths. That doesn't mean that I personally. Don't have a very robust theological system that sure. I still am fenced in. Yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, for me, there is there is deep mystery in this. And I'm no longer ashamed yeah. about that. And I feel liberated by that. I am curious, I know I've asked you this before. How have you navigated and what has kept you from just saying, well, there's entire systems of progressive mm-hmm. and, and liberal Christianity yeah. that have a full, a full expression of yeah my community the lgbtq community yeah functioning marrying mm-hmm. sexually ha- happy and active well, yeah. what what has kept you from moving down into that system
1: yeah i definitely have contemplated that for sure definitely have um interacted with that a lot um I think the more that I step back and, and, and just watch and observe the, the um, griefs that I've suffered from the evangelical community, evangelical conservative community, the evangelical conservative community says, um, sex is intimacy and you have to be married to get it. Oh, this is your stuff on orgasm is intimacy? Yes. This is some of your most, yes. I, this is most <laughs> you need to write about this someday. It's so brilliant. Okay. When I find it. time. Yeah. Um, they say sex is intimacy. And they say intimacy has to be in marriage, mm-hmm. confined to marriage. And they say marriage has to be between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. So essentially what they're saying is intimacy equals man plus woman, married man plus woman. With orgasm at the center of that. Yes, but yep. the problem is they get sloppy with their language. Yeah, cuz evangelical Christians can't say the word orgasm. Yeah, you It's right. the same
0: narrative. Yeah,
1: <laughs> for sure. But what they what they end up doing is they just say love or or so so the um, what I pick up as a gay person growing up in that community trusting what they're telling me is connect human connection. Um just loving other people. It's all confined to marriage. And sex within that, right? Yes. And I look around and, and the male-male relationships that I see in the evangelical community are lousy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The lack of intimacy and depth there is like nothing to envy. Nothing right. to envy. Um, in fact, you get too close We'll, we'll take a little side tangent here. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many homophobic things I have heard at men's retreats, mm-hmm. at in youth group, some of the worst homophobia I experienced was within the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm just thinking of, of being on a men's retreat and having to share a bed with a dude all the homophobic comments that are made where there's no space given for, Hey, this could be a really beautiful moment for connection with another dude who I really feel affectionate for. Yeah. And nobody's doing anything orgasmically. Yep. Like nobody's doing anything sexually. Yeah. But there's such a, a disgust. And I will say fear. Cultural narrative, cultural fear, yeah, stereotype, the whole thing. So that's what the evangelical church is doing. What I find the progressive church is doing is just the exact same thing. What they say is sex is intimacy. Intimacy is for marriage mm. for the most part, right? The progressive church. I do find that the progressive church does hold up marriage. They just redefine it, but sure. Yep. They, they, they do hold it up. Yep. Um, and marriage is 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 whatever you want it to be, but marriage is still where intimacy happens. Like you love somebody so much you get married, mm-hmm. and so the problem, my my frustration is in that is it still is such a screwy understanding of intimacy, yeah, that it's not giving any. I feel beat up between two people who are arguing two two parties that are arguing, but both are saying the exact same thing. They're just doing it in two different wrong ways. Yeah. And the thing is, I think because I have queer friends who are not, who, who, who wouldn't hold to a traditional Christian sexual ethic the same way I do, but they're still Christians. Mm-hmm. They're still queer. Um, And I genuinely admire them. I don't necessarily agree with them on their sexual ethics, but there's some pretty awesome people who I do genuinely believe are trying to obey Jesus. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so, but I think for, for those of us queer Christians, whatever that looks like, however, we're living that out. We need to be told how to steward our sexuality whether that ends up being in a traditional Christian sexual ethic or in a progressive sexual ethic. But regardless, regardless, we have to have, um, uh, we have to have the church helping us understand what it looks like to connect with other people in a non-sexual way as well. And I think Joel, in our conversations,
0: what has been an epiphany to me is that the coming from a conservative evangelical community, the shame narrative doesn't allow for space uh, about intimacy because like you said, what you grew up in, well, intimacy Mm -hmm. was one of those danger zones like drums and movies after 1945. Yeah. And even within marriage intimacy was in those hyper fundamental contexts, intimacy was something very, very dangerous. And so I think that the, what you contribute and what you bring in the story and what you mitigate against in the shame narrative is the challenging question: What is intimacy? Human intimacy yeah. between people within the community. Yeah. So then you take a celibate gay man mm-hmm. who has resolved, as far as mm-hmm. I am, you have resolved mm-hmm. to follow Jesus mm-hmm. as as your. How do you even as your husband, as your lover, friend, all the things that he is in the narrativeal yeah. structure of the the Hebrew yeah. Bible and the New Testament? How do you? How, yeah, how I've never asked you this. How are you structuring Jesus and your relationship with Him? Mm, yeah,
1: <clears throat> uh, that's a really good question that I don't know how to answer. Okay, because I think it's not just one thing. I, I'm I have such an intense allergy to reductionism. Yeah, because I think that the life that life is complicated enough that we have to like. I, I just am not gonna know all the things in order to be able to reduce reduce everything out and get an easy answer. So, but, but I will explain to you what Jesus, Jesus is everything. <laughs> He's everything. I think if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd quit being a Christian. Yeah. And I know that sounds like, oh, well, of course, haha. But like, no, seriously, like, I've experienced enough ugliness from evangelicals that I, I've been very disgusted. Yeah. I've been, um, some of the, the, you know, the narrative is just the narrative of the scriptures is just crazy. Unless Jesus is who he says he is. yep, And unless God is walking among us in flesh mm-hmm. and is now permanently fused with human flesh mm. um, and not just his death, but his resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I Oh, it, it, I keep coming back to the, in, the incarnation and, and all of the realities that that brings with it. It's community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's humanity being restored to God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's us being restored to our position that we lost in the garden. Yep. um and so I think that is is the the lens at which through which I I want to live my life as a celibate Jesus follower Jesus was celibate and he was no less he wasn't deprived of of, of anything mm-hmm. um he lived such a full life and he had such intense relationships
0: yeah. You, as you're talking, it's so crazy that I'm seeing this so clearly. The opposite of shame is not acceptance. The opposite of shame is intimacy. Yeah. Like the, the and you and I had a conversation about honor at one point, honor, yeah. honor, uh, let's see, you phrase it. Honor is like that which you give the most attention to that, which you give the most focus to it's, it's this, but I think that is a counterpart of shame, but I think the greater counterpart is intimacy.
1: But isn't that relation is isn't honor intimacy?
0: It's I think it's a facet of intimacy. I think it's a I think it's what you experience when you are intimately one with another mm-hmm. being. You experience that overflow of adoration and focus mm-hmm. and attention in a way that is not. You don't feel vulnerable in it. Yeah, you feel safe in it, and you feel delighted in in it. Which was the garden experience, and so when you think about Jesus as a celibate. You think about Jesus living so intimately with his father that what he sees his father doing, he does.
1: Mm-hmm. What
0: he hears his father doing or saying, he says. And then you watch him with his disciples. Mm-hmm. This this being, this this human of like infinite security.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And infinite love. And you you see that a man so acquainted with the presence of the spirit also was so lavishly in love with the humans that were around yeah. him and with him, and we have so much, I think, to learn in the church around allowing the fig leaves to once again, very carefully, very slowly, through relationship and time and conversation to be peeled away. Yeah. but I do think that the church is returning to that, that model, and one thing that I think is happening i I just don't see the church the either the progressive or the conservative communities. I just don't think the platform event style of Christianity that yeah. the West has produced I think it's going to have its place I think we're always i'm a preacher we're always going to have teachers mm-hmm. we're all going to have we're always going to have liturgies that mm-hmm. the whole group comes around, yeah, but I think the church is making this collective move starting with the millennials, Mm -hmm. really ramping up with Gen Z, Mm -hmm. really ramping up with the LGBTQ community within the framework of saying, we are in relationship. The church is a network of relationships. What does actual intimacy look like between us as the church? And it's really, it feels pioneering to me. It feels like we're we're pioneering this course forward. And so somebody like me, Mm -hmm. uh, a trained theologian, Mm-hmm. I mean, they they tell me I have mastered divinity, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. <laughs> Paid a lot of money to master divinity, <laughs> and I'm still more confused than it I've ever been. Sounds almost blasphemous Dude, it does. to master divinity. Yeah. I, masters of divinity. Um, I find myself almost jumping into this swimming pool of mystery. Yeah, and yet that I do have the safe harbor of this of this um, I I can't deconstruct the resurrection of Jesus. Joel. Yeah, yeah. And so I can sit here with a gay man mm-hmm. and I can sit here in my own world with all my theological deconstructions mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, try as I may. And I'm a very rational human. I yeah. cannot deconstruct that yeah. Jesus is alive. Yeah. And that is what's healing me. And yeah. I find healing right now in my own shame sitting here with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole premise of these stories is that there is this, sense where a community of empathy, as badly as we fail at it, mm-hmm. is our one hope. Yeah. So one more question for you. Yeah. Um, it's on the, on the healing trajectory, on where you're at now. In your life, I do see the the third way Jesus thing. Mm-hmm. You upset evangelicals. You you have said things that just ruffle feathers, sure. which is beautiful. Sure. You also really upset progressives. Yeah, no, I know I did. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's a very Jesus thing. Mm-hmm. You've got the Sadducees and the Pharisees and they all want to kill you. Mm-hmm. Where and how are you finding community? Because Joel, it would be so easy for you to just point the finger and say, you know what? F yeah. them all, this all sucks. Yeah. I'm gonna how are you navigating current healing? Yeah. And pressing into various forms of, uh, of empathetic community. Yeah.
1: How can I continue to just be your friend yeah. and just learn? Well, I, I first have to say there are still days when I say F all this stuff, this sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes in prayer with Jesus, sometimes out loud. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, th- I think it is requiring some emotional honesty on me that there's some days where I'm just like, I just feel I'm done. I feel like I'm done. Mm. Um Yeah. So, I I have to admit that this isn't easy. I I really do struggle with it a lot, but I also um I'm also so hopeful. I'm so hopeful because hopeful for the church. Hopeful for Um I'm hopeful, and this goes right back to the resurrection. I'm hopeful that what Jesus started at the resurrection can it cannot and is is not and will never be be conquered. Like it will only conquer, mm-hmm. and it cannot. Christ cannot be defeated, and so He will win. Yeah, He will win in the end. And, and I just I come back to the. I just kind of hold hold the words defiantly hopeful mm. um, over and over for myself. Um, but I'm, I'm also really encouraged by my other LGBTQ uh, Jesus following siblings. Mm. So encouraged by them. I have like family of God, siblings or like, like, no, no, like Jesus family followers. of God, Got like, it. like, Church I just wanted to clarify that, yeah <clears throat> um kingdom siblings um all just all across the the world really, um but just per- and i'm not just saying vague like broad brush short, like in particular individuals, um one of my best friends back in Cincinnati, um just doing jesus's work there in his community and faithfully like bringing people in. And, and I think what makes me really excited is that walking this hard road, one of the gifts that I get to give is to be a disruptive present. Yeah. But that doesn't just come with always critiquing, mm-hmm. but it comes with being with the vocation of being defiantly hopeful, mm. and by being defiantly hopeful in very discouraging circumstances, and in the face of really uh, the traumas, the spiritual abuse that we've suffered, um, you start to become a magnet. Mm-hmm. for other people who are curious. Yep. And so to see um, the the people that are gathering around, around me, I get so encouraged by them. And just tonight I have a group of folks of um, LGBTQ Christians here in the Southern California area who are coming over to my house for what we are calling family dinner. Yeah. Um it feels like a sort of like Kingdom Fight Club <laughs> where it's like these people get to come it's this safe like kind of like what goes on there is 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 unknown and it's not being tracked by the rest of everybody. Yeah. But it's this place where people are it's a courage factory. Yeah. And where people are going like, oh my gosh, I didn't know other people felt like this.
0: I'm not alone. I'm not separated. It's a courage factory. It's an honor factory. Yeah. Every time you start telling me about how you're shepherding this crew, I just see Jesus honoring them, Mm. Joel, and you being honored by Jesus. And it's really, really beautiful, dude. It's like really
1: beautiful, Well, and that, that gives me intimacy factory. It's an intimacy factory. Oh gosh. It is. It is because I think we are, we are getting the privilege of loving each other in deep, rich, affectionate ways that the, the, the church didn't have any imagination for. Yeah. That isn't orgasmic. Right. And we're getting to just. To love each other. Yep. And it's been really cool because I have. I've had um, multiple different straight friends that will sometimes hang out with us. Who will just say, I really just want to be with y'all all the time. <laughs> I just. Y'all Are. Speaking things out that I don't hear often and I just, it's so, um, it's contagious. And and to see that happening with um, this dear friend of mine back in Cincinnati is his community is now just this mixed, very, um, people from all kinds of different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And not all of them are gay. But I I just think like the the powerhouse behind this is these these gay Christians who are saying, um, we want to love each other and and we want to we want to be the f- chosen family mm. for each other that we didn't have yeah and I think that's the t- that's the word that keeps coming up is chosen family mm. and. Um, and so I'm so encouraged. I am you so be.
0: encouraged. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. But I'm just realizing, you know, I have people in my life. Uh, I have a dear, well, Evan, you know, Evan Wickham yeah. and my son, Joby. Mm-hmm. These are, these are men who are like so relational. Mm-hmm. I'm like just trying to learn. Mm-hmm. And then I have you mm-hmm. where it's like the levels of, of relationality and connection and I've been toying around with this image in my mind for years now, and there, there's a lot of leaders a lot smarter than me that have been thinking along these congruent lines of the church is going to really not devolve but return mm-hmm. yeah. to being a, a communal people, yeah and I love the idea of the of like urban monasteries
1: yes th-
0: these little enclaves yes. of of humans who are mm who are third way people. And it was actually you that gave me this analogy. I'd been saying, you know, we're going to be like the Amish living mm-hmm. in the cities. We're so mm-hmm. strange the way we look. Yeah. And you said, no, we're more like Harry Potter. Yeah. And we're like, you know, the muggles know there's something around this community of people that is different, but they can't really put their finger on it. Yeah. And I, I think that the church is going to be this urban monastic community of, yeah. of deeply intertwined relationships that are just so thick as we labor towards um, intimacy as the medicine for shame. Intimacy is the counterpart of shame. Joel, I I just, I love you so much. Um, I think we'll wrap this up. It's 46 minutes. Hey, you guys, if you're listening and you're in San Diego, you want a killer haircut, get a hold <laughs> of Joel. Uh, if you want a, a painting, mm-hmm. I would encourage you, what's your Instagram? It's Joel Briggs Paint. Okay, go check out his work. His work is it's uh, the, it's emotive. It's got a it's
1: evocative.
0: Evocative is the other word that comes provocative <laughs> as well in some measure, but evocative for sure. And you can feel the richness of the the tapestry of Joel's background, and actually you can feel the you can feel the man's commitment to Jesus in his art. So if you're into any sort of uh, visio divina, that is deep meditation mm-hmm. through the visual arts. Uh, I do believe Joel has a niche in that space for the church community that's mm-hmm. going to continue to yeah. unfold in really beautiful ways. Or if you just ever want to get a cup of tea and have a very stimulating conversation mm-hmm. with a, a very smart man, yeah. look up Joel. Thank you so much for being here on the podcast, having this Absolutely. conversation with me. And we really do hope and pray for you, dear friend, dear listener. At the end of the day... Truly, um, what you want is a group of friends that love you and accept you. You want a family and you want to be able to be who you are, who Jesus made you to be with this sense of intimacy and acceptance. And the pathway there is long Mm -hmm. and it is filled with landmines and it is in a war zone. And so recognizing all of that, uh, go forth, Christian soldier, go Mm -hmm. forth in the strength and in the meekness of Christ, your King, and know There is an entire community of people who are with you and for you, and you are not alone. We love you so much. Shalom.